Good afternoon and welcome to On the Arts, KLW's weekly radio magazine of the performing arts. I'm your host, David Latulipe. Today, I'll talk w- with actor Richard Thomas back in town to appear in the acclaimed Aaron Sorkin adaptation of To Kill a Mockingbird. Healthy holiday offerings today, you'll hear about the San Francisco Gay Men's Chorus annual Holiday Spectacular from the chorus's artistic director, Jacob Stensberg. Jeffrey Thomas shares music and details about upcoming American box soloist holiday concerts, plus holiday brass from the San Francisco Symphony. Three members of the section join us today. All coming up after an update from the BBC. Stay with us. Hello, I'm Roisin Hasty with the BBC News. Legislation to provide billions of dollars in new security assistance for Ukraine and Israel has been blocked by Republican members of the U.S. Senate. They're insisting on more funding for tougher immigration control at the U.S. border with Mexico before any other foreign assistance is given. Ukrainian MP Alexei Honcharenko said he wasn't surprised. It was clear already for several days that this attempt will not be successful because there is no compromise between Democrats and Republicans about the border policy for the moment. Uh, so, And it's a very pity that Ukraine became a hostage of this internal political struggle. The former president of Peru, Alberto Fujimori, has been freed after more than 15 years in jail for corruption and human rights violations during his time in office. The 85-year-old was released after the Constitutional Court reinstated a presidential pardon issued six years ago. Hundreds of his supporters surrounded his car as he left Lima's Barbadillo prison. Israel's Foreign Minister Eli Cohen has sharply criticised the UN Secretary-General after Antonio Guterres appealed to the Security Council by invoking Article 99 in the UN Charter to help a humanitarian catastrophe in Gaza. Nida Taufik is in New York. It's quite a dramatic move um, and certainly one that's meant to send a clear message to the Security Council that the Secretary General is frustrated with them and is trying to remind them of their responsibilities. I think it's worth noting that this is the first time that Antonio Guterres has ever invoked Article 99, which essentially gives him the power to bring to the attention Uh, of the Security Council matters that he thinks are of a grave threat to the maintenance of international peace and security. The Rwandan government has threatened to withdraw from a deal with Britain that would enable London to send asylum seekers to Rwanda if it does not respect international law. The Rwandan foreign minister said it had always been crucial for both Rwanda and the UK to uphold the strictest legal norms. Myani Jones is in Kigali. G7 leaders have agreed to ban Russian diamonds from next year, further tightening sanctions over Moscow's invasion of Ukraine. The announcement came after a virtual summit with President Zelensky. The new ban follows a raft of other sanctions on Russia over financial institutions as well as technology and energy exports. You're listening to the latest world news on the BBC. 
Italy has withdrawn from China's trillion-dollar Belt and Road Initiative four years after becoming the only G7 country to sign up to the vast trade and infrastructure programme. The Italian Prime Minister, Giorgio Maloney, has called the previous government's decision to join the project a big mistake. Beijing sees the project as a new silk road, building cooperation and transport links around the world. Critics say it's an attempt to build China's political and economic power. Police in Las Vegas say at least three people have died and one has been injured in a shooting at a local university campus. The gunman is also dead. The Metropolitan Police Department did not elaborate on the circumstances of the incident in the U.S. state of Nevada. Kevin McMail is the local sheriff. I want to say to the community, there's no further threat. I will tell you that this combined police, state, local and federal law enforcement along with the fire department worked very well. We do have one suspect down. We have no idea on the uh, motive. There are a number of victims that have been transported to area hospitals. We are continuing the investigation here. This is still a very active and dynamic scene. Google has unveiled a new artificial intelligence system that it says has advanced reasoning capabilities and can, in its words, think more carefully when answering hard questions. It's been launched in more than 170 countries worldwide as an upgrade to Google's existing AI chatbot, Bard. The tech giant says the new model, Gemini, is the first to outperform human experts on certain tasks. Google said a more powerful version of Gemini would be released across more products and services in the coming months. BBC News. This is Sunni Khalid, news editor here at KALW. In case you missed it, about 100 Oakland teachers staged a teach-in on the situation in Gaza amid opposition from administrators. And San Francisco's Board of Supervisors adopted a bill aimed at spurring the construction of new housing. You can hear these stories, as well as others from our partners at NPR, by logging onto our website at KALW.org. Meanwhile, keep your dial set on 91.7, where KALW, San Francisco Bay Area. Welcome to On the Arts, our weekly radio magazine of the performing arts. I'm your host, David Latulipe. A healthy helping of some holiday music, and especially with the San Francisco Symphony continuing their multiple shows for any sort of stripe, including last night, an incredible Cirque du Soleil-style nutcracker with live music from the San Francisco Symphony. They do Handel's Messiah this weekend. We'll hear about another Messiah. Well, it's actually the same Messiah, but a performance by the American box soloists later. San Francisco Youth Symphony performs Prokofiev's Peter and the Wolf with SpongeBob SquarePants as the narrator, Tom Kenny, along with others. Daniel Stewart on the podium for that. A Mariachi Christmas this Sunday. The Colors of Christmas on the 13th and 14th. It returns to Symphony Hall for two evenings of pop hits and holiday favorites performed by vocalists Olita Adams, Piabo Bryson, Jennifer Holliday, and Ruben Stoddard with the Oakland Interfaith Gospel Choir as well. Holiday Gaiety with Peaches Christ and Edward Outwater on December 15th, which we'll talk about later with my guest from the San Francisco Gay Men's Chorus. They'll make a surprise appearance along with Drag sensation Peaches Christ, drag performer Bianca Del Rio, and all kinds of other... Uh, well, it's an adult-themed show, let's say. 
Holiday films continue with Love Actually on December 16th and Home Alone on December 22nd and 23rd. And on Wednesday, the 20th of this month, Holiday Brass. The San Francisco Symphony Brass Percussion and Timpani Sections, conducted by Edwin Outwater, present a mix of classical and popular holiday favorites and Holiday Brass. To tell us more about that concert, I'm pleased to welcome three members of the San Francisco Symphony Brass Section. Robert Bob Ward, Principal Horn, who is going to be retiring after some 43 years, Associate Principal Trumpet Aaron Schumann, and Principal Trombone Tim Higgins. Gentlemen, welcome. Hey, thanks. Well, we have to start with someone who's playing I've enjoyed since moving here in 2002, but Principal Horn Bob Ward's timeline with the San Francisco dates back to 1980, and he recently announced his retirement after 43 years with the symphony. Prior to that, he held positions in the Atlantic Symphony of Halifax and the Denver Symphony. Welcome, Bob. Hey, nice to be here. Thank you. And congratulations on your impending retirement. Bittersweet, I'm sure. Yeah, well, it's been a it's been quite a ride. It's uh, but uh, there's nothing better than making great music with great colleagues. Well, I just love the fact when you're given a solo ovation, you just you're just beaming, and with good reason. You you play so beautifully. Thank you for that. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Let's hope that uh, you're continuing teaching then at the San Francisco Conservatory of Music. Actually, no, I am also leaving there as well. I've, I've taught there for 25 or 30 years, and it's time for someone else to pass on their uh, thoughts and knowledge to the the young'uns. Well, what are you doing? Hitting the beach at Maui or what? <laughs> oh, doing doing a little bit of uh, writing. I'm uh, an aspiring novelist, getting a late start in my 60s, but uh, I'm going to be working on some of uh, those things and also maybe a little a little bit of uh, music composition as well. Great. Well, let's start with a couple of stories from you, perhaps. Uh, pull your memory out. Uh, you've played under the batons of several music directors and countless guest conductors over these years. Anything really stand out? I'm sure there are well, many, but... <laughs> well, uh, we, we have uh, done so many marvelous uh, cultural things here. Um, but uh, one, one of the things that uh, I, I think the orchestra is best known for is, what, is uh, when uh, Michael Tilson Thomas was music, music director, we uh, recorded a complete cycle of Mahler symphonies, which uh, while it is certainly not Christmas music, it's uh, uh, one of the things I'm most proud of in, in my time here. Nice. Well, let's uh, let's think about a story from um, how, without naming names. Give me an example of a conducting disaster. Oh, a conducting disaster. Well, there was one time when we were. Let's see. I think a an unnamed conductor was conducting, and uh, we were I don't know playing some Schoenberg piece or something, and he thought it was in one meter, and we all knew it was in a different meter, and uh, we we kind of collided in the middle, and then he flipped the other way, and we flipped the other way, so we collided once again. So it was. Uh, not exactly the finest hour for uh, for everyone involved. <laughs> well, I'm sure you have many wonderful memories with uh, with uh, MTT. Speaking of bittersweet, uh, his departure and his health situation. A favorite moment or moments with him? Well, I I think that um, he, he when when he returned, you know, honestly, I didn't think he was going to return and and conduct this last. Beethoven Ninth Symphony with us, and um, we all were sort of thinking, "Well, I, how's this going to work?" You know, but he got up there, and it was just like it was uh, back when he was music director. He, he, it was a terrific performance. Everyone was very moved by the situation and how he 
and we rose to the occasion. So it was a, a very lovely moment and a lovely gesture for the, after the first performance. You all donning the the uh, the, the faux <laughs> blue glasses that is uh, MTT's trademark. I'm sure you got a kick out of that. Yeah, well, one of our violas stayed up all night cutting those things out of <laughs> cardboard. So it's uh, I don't I don't know how she managed to play the next day. Well, well, let's involve your colleagues here as well. Uh, associate uh, assistant principal, uh, associate principal trumpet Aaron Schumann and principal trombone Timothy Higgins. Let's start with you, Aaron. After stints with, among others, the Boston Symphony, you joined the San Francisco Symphony as associate principal in 2018. Well into the tenure of MTT, some favorite stories from you yeah um great great to be on here thanks for having me sure uh yeah like unlike bob i uh i came in towards the end of mtt's uh tenure here um so i have a very different experience than others that uh as as many many directors music directors uh last a long time places i was coming very fresh so um some of my best memories are going to his office and just talking over music and things that he would like to hear differently. Um, and I felt very encouraged and, and helped along by him. So, Okay, uh, okay, that's intriguing. Differently how? <laughs> <laughs> well, much like uh, we won't name names, I won't, I won't <laughs> speak too much on that, but uh, just that there was a freshness, and uh, it was very much appreciated. Guest conductor disaster story? Ooh. I guess, you know, even in the, it's just my fifth season, everybody has those. <laughs> um, I'd say, you know, as a wind player, we, we really uh, benefit from a clear cue. And occasionally there will be uh, unnamed conductors out there that give the softest, most beautiful cue that has nothing to do with the wind player. And so um, <laughs> we'll have to kind of wing it. And usually it comes what should be a ta comes out as <laughs> so um, that's maybe not so infrequent so <laughs> Tim Higgins you joined the San Francisco Symphony as principal trombone in 2008 previously with the National Symphony Oops, you remuted yourself I love, love these Zoom yeah, conversations that is yeah. <laughs> I know right yeah we're still in covid yeah, and uh, so tell me, uh, tell me a little bit about uh, an anecdote that you'd like to share with our audience, either within the brass section or without. Oh my goodness! Um, well, I think I might get in trouble if y'all find out how much fun we have at work. Um, maybe HR might call me in tomorrow, but um, <laughs> we've got a really great relationship in the brass section, and um, we uh, enjoy working with each other. It's a it's a, a high pressure job to perform every week and an orchestra this level um but we all you know we'll have a good laugh about it i know my my colleagues are on mute right now and i bet they're able to share some of our fun jokes right now but um <laughs> not as many we, viol- not as many uh trombone jokes as there are uh, uh viola jokes well, I think. there's plenty of trombone jokes just we don't <laughs> like to share them i've got plenty of viola <laughs> jokes i'd like to share though oh i just want i, I just want to clarify um I think in your opening, you mentioned that the Holiday Brass Show is on Wednesday the 20th. It's actually on Thursday the 21st. Oh, okay. So if anyone's looking and they're like, where's this brass show? Um, well, you know, you're going to want to come see Holiday Brass. It's one of our favorite shows all year. It's so, funny yeah. that that comes from the San Francisco Symphony press release. <laughs> right. No! Well, I'll talk to, I'll, I'll send them to HR. But yeah, it's, it's Thursday the 21st. Okay. If I'm wrong, Bob and Aaron can yell at me. Does that, does that sound good? Sound right, Aaron? Sound right to me. 
All right. Okay. And Bob will be there on the 21st. Okay. Yeah. Don't show up on the 20th. Maybe (laughs) something else is going on on the 20th. Uh, Absolutely. Well, now you you mentioned, you know, a certain cohesion has to develop with any brass section of an orchestra. Bob, what is, what is the special sauce that makes audiences just rise up when the section is acknowledged after say a, a Mahler symphony? Well, I think, I think that, um, brass sections, uh, we, we have like a radar. We have like telepathy or something about how we can play together as a unit. And so, so we as solo players, Tim and I, and uh, when Aaron is playing first trumpet, um, we, we have also a sense of how to rise out of the texture and play our solos in, in, in a way that is, uh, uh, interesting and compelling to an audience. And, uh, but it's, it's that way that the, whole brass section can surge at a climax of uh, of a Mahler symphony or a Tchaikovsky symphony or uh you know a pops concert or whatever it can we we can just move as one it's like one of those uh one of those clouds of swallows that just turns and and moves all in the same uh way all at once without and we no one knows how that happens <laughs> anything you want to add to that tim actually yeah you were asking about anecdotes and bob made me remember a a moment, one of my favorite moments, ensemble-wise in the in, in the orchestra. We were playing a piece by Robin Holloway, um, his Peer Gint, which is a pretty obscure rep. I think it's been played only a handful of times, and it's very complicated. And so we actually didn't get to rehearse everything in concert in, in the rehearsals. And there was about a thirty or forty second stretch of music that the orchestra had never played. And I remember um, this feeling of um, watching the conductor up until that moment started and it's as if the orchestra just like put blinders on stopped looking up but looked at each other and then navigated this section all in real time and as soon as we got back to a rehearse the orchestra kind of opened back up to the conductor like okay go ahead what were you saying Hmm. um it was um it's it's really hard to describe um unless you're in the moment experiencing it you know when you're, you're trying to sound good in front of people while sight reading as, as um, much as you as much as you need to pay attention to the conductor jeffrey thomas will probably second this when i talk with him sometimes you just have to ignore <laughs> the conductor well and a, good, and a good conductor knows when to get out of the way <laughs> true enough true enough well uh, bob why don't you tell us what's on this program on the 21st conducted by edwin outwater uh, well, it's a, it's a quite a varied, uh, program of, uh, sort of classical, uh, sort of favorites transcribed for brass and also some more, uh, popsy sorts of things. Um, Tim has done, I think we're doing your nutcracker arrangement, nutcracker suite, right, Tim? That's correct. Yes. And, uh, some, and then some, there's some Stan Kenton, uh, kind of big band stuff and a couple of crowd favorites like Sleigh Ride and, uh, the Leroy Anderson Christmas Festival, which most people know from their days in high school band. So uh, it's it's uh, kind of a mixed bag, and there's kind of something for everybody. I'm glad you mentioned Sleigh Ride, because we're going to go out with that. That really is, well, I consider that one of the most favorite tunes of the repertoire. It's so well-crafted, Leroy Anderson Sleigh Ride. Bob Ward, uh, happy retirement. Uh, enjoy these yeah. last concerts with the San Francisco Symphony. And Tim and Aaron, we will continue to enjoy your work. Thank you very much. Cheers. Thanks for having us. Happy holidays. More holiday music to come with the San Francisco Gay Men's Chorus, Jeffrey Thomas and the American Box Soloists, plus a talk with Richard Thomas, who's in town as Atticus Finch next week for To Kill a Mockingbird, and national tour.
Amazing brass section of the San Francisco Symphony, which you can hear with Edwin Outwater conducting some holiday brass on Thursday the 21st, sfsymphony.org for more information. Well, it's a busy time for several of the Bay Area's acclaimed choral ensembles, two of which are represented on today's show, to begin with someone who should interview himself, as he's a radio personality in his own right, as well as a respected tenor soloist, Jeffrey Thomas, artistic director and conductor of American Box Soloists, with whom he has directed and conducted scores of critically acclaimed recordings and performances. He's also been on the podium for many renowned Baroque orchestras worldwide, Always a pleasure to welcome him back to talk about his happenings with the American Bach Soloist, an ensemble he founded in 1989. Jeffrey, welcome back to On the Arts. Hi, David. Thank you. It's great to, great to be here with you again. I'm glad the commute worked out and that we managed to get you in. <laughs> <laughs> it was touch and go for a while, but I'm, yeah, made it. Here we are. You know, I just learned be- that before you began devoting all of your time to conducting, you were one of the first recipients of the San Francisco Opera Company's prestigious Adler Fellowships. Dare I ask I the year the, of that? The very first gang. Uh, there were four or five of us, and uh, we began on the day that Terry McEwen began his first day as as general manager. Um, and it was a thrilling period. Got to meet some of the greatest singers of all time, who it turns out are like wonderfully nice people. Yeah, you know, like Pavarotti and Mirella Freni, just sensational people. So it was a a very very wonderful the set of memories I have from that. Well, very nice. And you've got a, a quite a, a, a curriculum vitae envious from Juilliard to Oberlin to uh, Manhattan School. Uh, and now you've, you've really settled in with American Bach. Again, the, the ensemble you form, formed in 1989. Still, still, well, still refreshing, still music to discover, isn't there? There definitely is. And uh, 35 years feels like a milestone. And so we're having fun enjoying uh, that aspect of it. And, uh, uh, we've been busy kind of, you know, reformulating like every music ensemble for the future and, and slightly repackaging what we do, looking to do different things. So it's been uh, it's nice to have a culmination of all that thinking that we've done over the last three or four years. You know, every group did, of course. Uh, so we're ready to we're, we're coming out of the gate now. I guess so. And, and this month, especially very busy uh, next yeah. Wednesday at Grace Cathedral, a Baroque Christmas. Tell me about that program. Well, so we've always had three performances of Messiah in Grace Cathedral. This is the 25th year of that, by by the way. And But a couple of years ago, we got the idea, well, maybe a shorter evening would be good for some, especially on a Wednesday. So we kind of abridged Messiah, and then last year abridged it more, but added in additional music, you know, uh, from, from the Baroque era. And so this year, the additional music is the, the beautiful Midnight Mass for Christmas by... So that's the first half of the Wednesday night show. And then the second half is a, you know, like an hour version of all the greatest bits of Messiah for, uh, for, for the Christmas season. Mm-hmm. But then Thursday and Friday, the whole thing. 
Very nice. And you mentioned the uh, yeah the the um, uh, Messiah performances. Uh, the San Francisco Symphony doing it this weekend, and the same Messiah, different performances. Your interpretation at Grace Cathedral on the fifteenth and the sixteenth. It's a highlight of many for this time of year to see that cathedral just jam packed with people enjoying both the atmosphere of the cathedral and your interpretation of Messiah. What makes it unique? Are you, what sort of instruments are you using? Are you discovering new things about the handle every year? Well, so, uh, yeah, as we use, you know, of course, period instruments, and many of them are real antiques, and some are reconstructions of them. So the sound is just so beautiful. And, you know, the whole idea behind that is to have a glimpse into what it sounded like back then versus what it sounds like now. Two two very different things. Um, but I'll tell you, coming back to a piece as fantastic as that, year after year, is uh, such a pleasure because, you know, with any great piece of music, and with great musicians, there's always something to polish a little more. So um, that's how it feels. Just, just you know, a little more silver polish and uh, find new corners that can be brought out uh, uh, perhaps uh, more intelligibly, uh, so that we can show what we see on the score. It's it's a it's a really uh, blessing to be called to render great music, so that you know listeners can hear what we can see on the page. And in, in spite of those early instruments being more delicate, it, it works well in the acoustic of Grace Cathedral? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's an acoustic that it just it just fills up with, with you know, sound. And they actually have something very tricky there in that big cavernous space. They have a sound system that with very, very slight micro time delays sort of goes from the front to the back. So when the Music at the front, when the real music hits the back of the cathedral, there's a little bit of an enhancement timed for that arrival. So it, it really cleans it up uh, in a remarkable way. You know, technology, here we are. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Well, those performances, uh, well-anticipated, American Bach org for more information as well as for more information backed by popular demand a baroque new year's eve at the opera and that's going to be at the herbst theater at 4 p.m on saturday the 31st plenty of time to continue your ushering in of the new year jeffrey let's go out with uh, the beautiful rendition that you made of handel's messiah for unto us a child is born happy performing uh, happy holidays to you as well thanks david great to be here AmericanRock.org for more information.
Messiah, for unto us a child is born. American Bach soloists under the direction of Jeffrey Thomas. AmericanBach.org about their upcoming performances both at the Herbst and Grace Cathedral. Well, let's continue that holiday spirit with uh, another choral choral group and another acclaimed conductor, the San Francisco Gay's Gay Men's Chorus. They celebrate the holidays once again with the return of their much-anticipated annual holiday tradition, Holiday Spectacular, four venues throughout the San Francisco Bay Area through Christmas Eve. To tell us more, who better than Jacob Stensberg, the chorus's artistic director and conductor. In addition to continuing the fine work of his predecessor, Tim Selig, Jake inaugurated a composition competition in 2022. Jake's passion for art and culture at the local level extends beyond the United States. He's engaged in collaborative programming with culture bearers from the Republic of Georgia, South Africa, Iran, Ukraine, the Philippines, and Corsica. Jake, such a pleasure to welcome you back to On the Arts. Great to see you. Well, it's so wonderful to have two uh, really wonderful choral conductors. I'm sure you know well the work of Jeffrey Thomas. Very, very well. Have been a fan for a long time, and it's the best Messiah people will ever hear. So I highly recommend, if you haven't been before, buy tickets now and go as often as you can. Well, let's remember that, as for some people, that's the only Messiah. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, we have a Messiah contest. Um, well, let's t- talk a little bit about this, uh, this year's uh, program. Give us, a, give us a brief outline. Sure. It's going to be, it's a whole new show from last year. As you said in the introduction, we have our second annual composition contest. The winner is from Minneapolis this year. He flies in on Friday to hear his piece performed live for the first time. Um, It's a really, really beautiful work um, about an ice skater and the piano accompaniment is really sort of the tension of the musculature of that ice skater. And the chorus is this long flowing, graceful line. So you sort of get that push and pull of, of all the activity and the slow moving grace of the ice skater. We have some classics that people will recognize like deck the hall and have yourself a merry little Christmas And we continue our tradition of ending with a medley of music by a pop icon that we kind of twist into our own festive holiday cheer. And this year, that is none other than Britney Spears. (laughs) All of this is put together with 250 singers. We have dancers. We have guest dancers who just won first place at the Gay Games in Guadalajara doing a tango on stage and we have the best band in the bay nine players playing all of these shows wow it's not speaking of those shows they are this weekend so i hope you're resting up 3 30 and 8 p.m on saturday friday at 8 
Uh, next, and that's at the Sydney Goldstein Theater here in San Francisco. On the 16th, you're off to Sonoma County in the Green Music Center. Uh, 5 p.m. performance the next day at Cal Performance's Zellerbach Hall. And then what is always an amazing event, three performances at the Castro Theater, 5, 7, and 9 p.m. on the 24th of December, where people just go nuts. And I'm sure the chorus is just ecstatic as well. There's nothing like it, seeing people lined up in both directions around the Castor Theater, all the way around the block, waiting to get in. The energy is so high, and it's a party from start to finish. So, Speaking of party, on the adult, or on the adult end of things, you're also guest artists for the San Francisco Symphony Holiday Gaiety uh, concert on the Friday the 15th uh, at Davies. Tell us about your participation in that. Yes, we're going back for the second year for that. We'll take three of our songs from Holiday Spectacular, uh, and we had them rewritten for the entire symphony orchestra, uh, still with our dancers, still with our soloists, so that will be really exciting. And we'll reprise an old number we did years ago with Rene Lubin from uh, Beach Blanket Babylon um, as a little treat at the end of the show as well. So always a joy to be on stage with Edwin and Peaches and Sister Roma and this year Bianca Del Rio. So Wow, yeah, that's Holiday Gaiety with Peaches Christ and Ed, Edwin Outwater on Friday the 15th. I'll be there. You should as well. Davies Symphony Hall. sfsymphony.org for more information and for the many SFGMC concerts coming up, uh, Holiday Spectacular, go to sfgmc.org. Jake, thanks for taking some time today. Let's go out with Holidays Are Here, a classic that you guys have done and is recorded and available on NCD and streaming form. Thanks, Jake. Thank you so much. SFGMC.org for more information.
ordinary night of yuletide carols, that's for sure, as the chorus's 240-plus members captivate audiences with timeless holiday favorites and delightful surprises. The San Francisco Gay Men's Chorus Holiday Spectacular, sfgmc.org for more information. To Kill a Mockingbird returns to San Francisco on its national tour. Set in Alabama in 1934, Harper Lee's Pulitzer Prize-winning story of racial injustice and childhood innocence centers on one of the most venerated characters in American literature, small-town lawyer Atticus Finch. The cast of characters includes Atticus's daughter Scout, her brother Jem, their housekeeper and caretaker Calpurnica, Calpurnia, their visiting friend Dill, and a mysterious neighbor, the reclusive Arthur Boo Radley. In short, the drama centers around Atticus defending a black man falsely accused of rape. I'm pleased to be joined by the Atticus Finch that is, as we speak, about to open in Spokane on a national tour that will include San Francisco on December 12th through the 17th, a person that was an indelible part of my family's television habits growing up, a part for which he won an Emmy Award, portraying John Boy Walton on The Waltons, Richard Thomas. Richard, now in his seventh decade orbiting the sun, is one of those actors that you can't help but respect. He does the work and continues to push himself with new projects, never resting on his laurels. Those laurels, by the way, include the afore-alluded-to 1973 Emmy for his portrayal of John Boy, and since then has been in productions ranging from the memorable 1979 CBS TV movie on All Quiet on the Western Front, the 1990 television miniseries It, adapted from Stephen King's horror novel, and more recently the FX Network period spy drama television series The Americans from 2013, for which I remember saying, wow, that's Richard Thomas, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Richard appeared in the 2017 Broadway revival of The Little Foxes, for which he was nominated for a 2017 Tony Award for Best Featured Actor in a Play. As of January of this year, Thomas has also been credited on, on Audible for narrating over 340 books. Richard, this fanboy for a long time is so excited to spend some time with you, even if it's by Zoom. Hi. Well, it's great to be with you. Thank you for having me. I imagine that early fame as John Boy is kind of a two-edged sword. Um, perhaps uh, it's grown a little longer in the tooth now and people aren't as, as conscious of you as in that role. Uh, well, it's no, it's just a one-edged sword. It, it, <laughs> it cuts in only one direction, and that's a good one. Um, you know, I have nothing but fond, proud memories of that show, and it did everything for me that a TV series could do. Uh, you know, you go through a little period after you leave a show, you've been on a show where the association is very powerful, and it just takes time to just keep doing other work to sort of balance the scales. But you'd be amazed. I mean, there's not a performance of... To Kill a Mockingbird every night where somebody doesn't yell goodnight, John Boy, at the final curtain call. And it goes on all day, wherever I am in any country. It's very still. He's still very much with us. It's amazing to me. The 50 years now. Yeah. Wow. 50 years. Jeez. Yeah. Now, what was your first exposure to the Harper Lee original? Like most of our generation required reading in school? Yeah, I read it as a, I don't know if it was middle school or maybe my freshman year in high school. And I loved it. You know, it's it's a perfect book. Uh, to read at that time of life when young people are developing their first feelings of social consciousness and creating their own communities uh, within the larger community of friends and like-minded young people. But, you know, I reread the novel as I was preparing the play, 
and I hadn't read it since I was a kid. And I'm telling you, it just reminded me, it is not a YA novel. It's a very, very rich book for for adult readers. And reading it as a parent was a whole new experience from reading it as a young person, because it's so much a a book about the memory of childhood, but it's also about this man and raising these two kids. I just was so touched by it from the parental point of view. I loved reading it again. Everybody, anybody who loved it as a kid should read it again as an adult, I think. Hmm. Interesting. Um, Also, uh, of course, Gregory Peck's Academy Award winning performance in the 1962 film is etched on the national psyche. Now, that's a long shadow. Does his portrayal (laughs) does his his portrayal of the character inform yours at all or no, 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 not at all. I'm too short to to try to emulate Greg Peck. Uh, No, it's a great performance. It's a wonderful film performance. And and, uh, we all know how beautiful it is. And it still continues to be amazing. But, you know, as actors, we can't ever be anyone but ourselves. And so you can't really worry about that sort of thing. I mean, you know, if you're going to worry about that, you'd never play Hamlet, you know, uh, because of everybody who's already done it. Um, but it's the nature of repertoire to play, that these roles get handed down from one generation and one group of actors to another. And that's certainly in the theater part of the great pleasure of it. Uh, and Aaron Sorkin has written a very different Atticus uh, than than Gregory Peck's in the film. Um, it's a very different guy. I mean, Atticus is all, all of his... <laughs> all we interrogate all of his, you know, uh, just perfect ideals and, you know, all of his unassailable virtues are interrogated in the course of the play. So he is a good man and a kind man and a man who wants to do the right thing, but he's a man who has a lot to learn and whose sense of community is really um, disassembled and reassembled as the play goes on. Aaron Sorkin said that he wanted to make Atticus the protagonist of the play because Scout is clearly the protagonist in the film. And so that he's a less, I think he's a more approachable figure in Aaron's adaptation. He has a wonderful sense of humor, thank heaven. Mm -hmm. And he's very teachable. So he goes through a, a, he goes through a kind of parallel loss of innocence with the kids in, in our production. So, you know, you know, Pache, Greg Peck in that wonderful, marvelous movie, um, the, the, the men who'll be playing Atticus for the next, however long this play gets produced, um, will have a different set of challenges and a different, uh, a, a different person to deliver. It's very satisfying, beautiful part. You touched on a couple of things there. The uh, Aaron Sorkin adaptation has had its own share of drama with the Harper Lee estate originally objecting to having your character Atticus being the focus of the play instead of the young girl scout. And you also mentioned um, humor. How did Sorkin enhance the humorous aspect of your character? Oh, absolutely. Of all the characters, of all the characters. I mean, he has a wonderfully wry Southern comfortable southern sense of humor he teases he it's just beautiful it it it, you know the 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 heartbreak and the seriousness of the story is leavened with wonderful humor all the way through uh and also he's not only taken atticus off the pedestal which is the most important thing um but he's also profoundly enriched the character of calpurnia and he's placed Atticus's relationship with Calpurnia really at the center as the aspirational relationship of the play. We have the magnificent Jacqueline Williams in that part, and, and it's just 
it's a much richer char- character really than it is either in the book or the film. Um, and uh, the Tom Robinson character is very, very rich and, and also beautifully played. So he's brought forward those African-American characters in a, in a wonderful way. Um, and, uh, you know, he hasn't betrayed Harper Lee's spirit at all. In fact, it, I think it delivers very strongly on her message. Well, Aaron Sorkin is also famous for his rapid fire overlapping dialogue in shows like The right. West Wing. Was was that a, a, an element that he incorporated into interpreting this novel? Well, first of all, his dialectic is always superb on the page. Uh, you know, the arguments are beautifully crafted and delicious to to speak and to hear. Um, but one of the things that he did so beautifully in this is, is he's given it a really southern tone and inflection. It's it's very, very southern. And consequently, you know, Atticus isn't a Chicago lawyer or a New York lawyer. and They're not up in, you know, it, it's not rapid fire at all. It's actually, it has a beautifully crafted musical southern quality to it in the language. But the, but the arguments are still there and they're still beautifully done. Tell us a little bit about your scout, or is it scouts, given the age of the actors and the uh, extent of the tour? Well, we have, we have uh, one of the great things that he did, one of the very first, well, the first thing you notice, which makes it unmistakable that you're seeing a play and not a movie or reading a book, is that the roles of Scout and Jem and Dill are played by three young adult actors, not children. Ah. Um, and uh, because it's a memory piece, uh, these young actors who are dressed as kids uh, are able to be in the drama, partaking of it, and also remembering it at the same time. It's a beautiful double consciousness that he's created. Um, and those three roles are also just beautifully, beautifully drawn. And our young actors are so great. I mean, they're, they're adults, but they're, but they're young adult actors. And it's, a, it's, it's the kind of thing that could only happen on stage. It's a purely theatrical convention that he's created. Now, this is not your first tour as Atticus Finch. I saw the last time you performed it in September of last year and was really just riveted. Any changes to the production for the second tour? No, no, it's the same. You know, we, 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 we never really stopped. We had a month off, I think in September, but we've been going, (laughs) we've been going, we started playing in March of 2022 uh, and so we've just, we've just, they, they won't let us quit. <laughs> it's going, it's going so well, but I'm, ex- I'm thrilled to get back to San Francisco. Any excuse, any excuse. <laughs> Great. When I lived in LA for 32 years, San Francisco was my beloved getaway. So I'm always so happy to be there. And I've done, I don't know. I've done one, two, three, four shows. I did. I've done, this is my fifth time visiting San Francisco in a theater. So I'm very excited to come back. Well, for those that don't remember their school assignment of reading the novel, uh, it, 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 use your character to explain what that title refers to. It's part of one of your dialogues. Well, it, he recalls in the, in, in the course of the trial that, that uh, you know, his, how he became a lawyer, you know, that his father uh, gave him a, an air rifle, like a BB gun. And it was like, you know, I know you, I want you to shoot tin cans in the backyard, but I know eventually... You know, the temptation is going to be too great. You're going to want to shoot at birds. He says, so you could shoot all the blue jays you want, obviously, because <laughs> they're pests. 
but to always remember that it's a sin to kill a mockingbird. And, and Atticus said that he asked his father why, and his father said, because they're innocent. And uh, this lit the flame that um, that became Atticus's uh, calling to be a to be a lawyer. And uh, it's very moving, and it's very evocative. And the one of the great things about the way it's been written is that he really is a small town lawyer. He's a he's a he's a country lawyer. He's not a fancy man. I mean, he's he's he has some elegance and education about him. He's he has some refinements, but he's also very much a small town lawyer in his niche, in his community, at a certain time, in a certain place. He's not an idealized uh, version of a, a perfectly motivated lawyer. It's 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 wonderful. And this speech, I particularly love speaking because. Just as he's being a father to his kids, in remembering the story of what his father said to him, uh, the generational aspect of it stays alive. You know, I, I woke up literally in the middle of the night the other night and thought, hold it now, to kill a mockingbird, Atticus Finch. You think that's in- intentional <laughs> on our police part? I, you know what? <laughs> I, we never, I never, I'm never really sure. I never make the assumption. The things are intentional with writers in writing, but but it would be hard to miss that one. Wouldn't it? <laughs> now we're speaking uh, on Wednesday, uh, the night you open in Spokane, Washington, for several performances before coming down here. Then over, you mentioned how many cities in this multi-year tour across the country, with more to be announced, perhaps, and scores of performances. How do you how do you physically take care of yourself for such a work about workout? Not not to mention safety issues like COVID. Well, uh, well, I've had it. I've had it twice. Um, you know, I have superb understudies who are in the play in other roles and who do, who are terrific atticuses in their atticai in their own <laughs> right. And uh, it's a very big part, and it's um, vocally demanding, but not punishing. Uh, so that's never a problem. But you know, I'm an actor of a certain age, and uh, I, I'm much more monkish in my habits now on this tour than I have been in the past. Uh, I like to come to the theater early. I take care of myself. I don't, I don't run around sightseeing the way I used to. And I miss that. But uh, this is a sort of an all consuming show and role. And I'm happy for it to be that. It's a great, great blessing. I can't think, you know, I love touring. The road is, that's another story for another time perhaps, but touring is its own unique, um, and wonderful and very challenging way of being an actor. And I love it. It's This is my third major tour. And um, it, I can't think of a better story to be taking around the country right now than this one. I mean, it's the perfect story to be telling. Right. So I never get tired of it. Well, after all this is over, is there talk or of or interest in a, a film version? Oh, I have no idea. I'd be too old for that anyway. So. <laughs> <laughs> Nonsense. It's the, you know, I'll be, the glory. Of- I'll, I'll be old enough to make play up, make up. <laughs> by the time this is over. <laughs> well, what do you do for the holidays? You've got a brief holiday break before resuming in West Palm beach in uh, January. Not a bad climate to spend in January. What do you do for the holidays yeah. with your family? Oh, just going back to New York. My wife and I will be there. To, you know, we're New Yorkers and we'll be back there. She's there now. And I'll, I've got a two week hiatus which is great a week before christmas and the week after 
So we have two kids who live there, so we'll spend the holidays with them, and that'll, that'll be wonderful. And then after that, West Palm Beach. Nice. Hopefully a little R&R time on that. The road is long. <laughs> well, my colleague Kevin Vance suggested that uh, Walton sign off. I'm, I'm going to resist, but instead I'll just make it keep up the good fight, Atticus. How's that? Oh, I love that. Thank you very much. I'm, I'm, I'm fighting that good fight every night on stage, and it's, it's, it's been one of the great theater experiences of my life. I mean, my actor's equity card is 65 years old this year, and this is, this is one of the, this is certainly peak experience for me. Got quite a pension coming. <laughs> yeah, they're good. <laughs> Richard Thomas, thanks so much for taking some time today. Thank you. It was great to speak with you. information on To Kill a Mockingbird, Aaron Sorkin's interesting adaptation at the Golden Gate Theater, the 13th through the 17th. Go to broadwaysf.com. Such a pleasure talking with one of my childhood idols, Richard Thomas. Well, as usual, during On the Arts, never enough time to let you know everything that's going on, but a little Vince Guaraldi in the background. The Adam Schulman Trio will be playing the Charlie Brown Christmas on Saturday the 16th. Speaking of that music and that cartoon for four performances beginning on the 20th, San Francisco Symphony presents the Charlie Brown Christmas live. Lawrence Lowe conducting the San Francisco Symphony Chorus. David Gikes, who assistant director on that with the symphony. We'll have a cast of narrators, dancers, and of course the familiar characters. A Charlie Brown Christmas, sfsymphony.org is part of their holiday contributions. Nutcrackers galore, including a long stint of usual with the San Francisco Ballet and the Oakland Ballet for just three performances on the 16th and 17th. We'll have someone from Oakland Ballet, I think, next week on the arts. The 14th annual Drag Queens on Ice, the fierce, fabulous, and festive annual event returns on Thursday the 7th. That's tomorrow at 6.30 p.m. That's Union Square. Go to unionsquareicerink.com for more information. San Jose Playhouse on the non-holiday side pays homage to the late great Stephen Sondheim and raises funds for local charities as part of their Giving Thanks and Giving program with Sondheim on Sondheim. That's at San Jose's Three Below Theaters, opening on November 30th and continuing. And ACT's Christmas Carol, always a good bet to take someone to act-sf.org for more information. Center Repertory also presents a Christmas Carol in Walnut Creek, if you'd rather not venture down into the city. Lots going on. 
Anything you heard on today's show is archived at our website, KALW.org. My thanks to Janice Lee for producing the show. And let's just enjoy a little bit of Vince Guaraldi to go out with. That's our in the arts for this week. Our theme was co-opted from music of Paul Drescher, good friend of KLW, and we get some support from the Paul Drescher Ensemble presenting the Schick Machine, featuring percussionist Stephen Schick at Z Space on Florida Street in San Francisco, the 15th to the 17th. Paul and possibly Stephen will be my guests next week on the arts here on KLW Wednesday at 4. A reminder that you can always send me an email suggestion for a guest. I'm David at KALW. Thanks so much for listening.